Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, April 9th. Each week, we check in with a leader across the firm to get a quick take on what they're watching in the markets. This week, we're going to look at the surge in IPO and related equity issuance and the outlook for markets going forward. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at Goldman, and I'm delighted to be joined by Benny Adler, who's a legend, co-head of America's Franchise Trading. Benny, nice to see you and welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So been a busy, busy year for you. We've seen a record level of IPOs and SPACs in the market this year. Give us a sense of the scale of activity that you've been seeing. Yeah, sure. And look, it's really been a slow build to the crescendo that's happened in Q1. I'd really describe the whole last 12 months as a profound reallocation of capital throughout our economy that's largely flowed through equity capital markets. But the first quarter has really been unprecedented in terms of the level of activity. So you know, to put some numbers around it, just over $250 billion of registered equity paper came to the market in the U.S. Uh, in the first quarter. That would be a slightly below average year over the last decade, full year. You know, what really stands out in that number of $250 billion are two categories. The first are IPOs of operating companies. These are the traditional IPOs that we all know and get a lot of press. $40 billion of operating company IPOs in the first quarter. Full year average over the last decade is $51 billion. So really, really extraordinary levels of activity for a single quarter. Even more extraordinary is the level of issuance in SPACs. There were $95 billion of IPO dollars raised by SPACs in the first quarter. That compares to $83 billion last year for the entire year, $117 billion over the last five years. So really extraordinary levels of activity in both operating company IPOs and SPAC IPOs. So Benny, talk a little bit more about the scale of the additional supply that's in the markets. Where's it all coming from? Yeah, look, the reality is that $250 billion registered equity paper number really only scratches the surface of the total supply that's come to the market. And the less obvious channels are at least as elevated as the obvious stuff. So look, there's a few different pockets here that are worth mentioning. I'll touch on three. They're all pretty robust. First, you know, we didn't talk about 2020 IPO activity much, but it was the second busiest year on record with $84 billion of IPOs coming to the market in the US. The vast majority concentrated in the second half of the year. When a company does an IPO, typically the shares not sold in the IPO are subject to a lockup for a period of time, typically about three to six months. In the first quarter, you were hitting that point of being three to six months removed from the IPOs. And so all those lockups have started to expire. And in many cases, that brings multiples of the dollars sold in the IPO to the market in sort of much less obvious sell downs, but trickle form sell downs by pre IPO holders. The second big pocket of supply has come from all these SPACs as they affect their mergers. The holders of the companies that they buy, plus the SPAC sponsors, plus folks who invest in pipes associated with the DSPAC process, all come free on shares that are usually several times the notional value of the dollars actually raised in the SPAC. So, I think there's something like a bit over $100 billion of SPAC dry powder seeking targets. But when these companies ultimately do mergers, you'll get multiples of that $100 billion coming to the market over the months and quarters that follow SPAC mergers closing. And then finally, we've seen a massive uptick in block activity over the quarter, but really just over the last few weeks. And so you combine those three sources of supply with the obvious registered equity stuff. And this market has just been asked to digest a truly unprecedented amount of equity supply. Okay. So that leads to the demand side. You talked about, I mean, markets exist to reallocate capital. So how are investors thinking about this and how's the additional supply affecting the way they're positioning their portfolios? Are they selling off existing equity to get that or do they just have dry powder? 
Yeah, well, when you get to a certain level of fullness, you run out of dry powder. And so they are left with no choice but to reallocate. And so that's what's happened. To put some numbers around dry powder, I think mutual fund cash balances are below 2% and it's the lowest level on record. So when new paper comes to the market, the dollars have to be funded somewhere. And you know, a lot of that is being funded by buybacks, which have ramped back up in the market in a big way. A lot of that's being funded by inflows into mutual funds and by individual investors. Money market balances have come down, but are still at very elevated levels historically. So there is dry powder out there. But the big place this has manifested itself over the last six weeks is in the growth space. So growthy equity sectors like tech, healthcare, communications come under a lot of pressure. Now, recall that these are the sectors that really have led us higher for most of the, really the entirety of the post-global financial crisis period over the last 10 plus years, but really since the start of 2020. And the equity paper that's come to the market has really been concentrated in growth space. The vast majority of the IPOs that we've seen have been in growthy type companies and sectors like tech and healthcare and communications. And so the growth sector or the growth spaces, as we like to measure them, have actually underperformed value stocks by 25% over the last six or seven weeks. That's a historically very large number. To put that in context, from Jan 20 through the local high in February, they'd outperformed by 50%. So a 25% move in six weeks is a lot. Now, there's more going on here than just the supply side of the equation. Interest rates have moved higher. Growth stocks tend to underperform as rates go higher. And importantly, people have been repositioning portfolios to get more exposure to the reopening of the economy, which is now very much a visible and happening event. And growth stocks have been a source of funds for that as well. So they're sort of getting hit with a triple whammy of higher rates, rotation into more cyclical sectors that will benefit from reopening and unprecedented levels of supply. Okay. So part of the rotation is from old growth to new growth. We just had Peter Oppenheimer, who's one of our colleagues in research on the podcast, talking about his new research on bubbles. Given your time in the capital market space, you know, do you see any parallels between the 99, 2000.com period and the explosion we've seen in equity issuance this time around? Yeah, well, I was a 22-year-old kid fresh out of college in 2000 when I started here. But do I worry about certain areas? Yeah, look, we've seen some well-publicized pockets of frothiness in the market. I'm not going to get into specific names, but what I'm encouraged by is how quickly all these pockets have seemed to self-correct well before they've become a systemic problem. The 99-2000 period was a much, much more systemic problem. It got much, much further than we've gone now. It was much, much more widespread, and it had much broader implications to the economy. And by the way, People like to forget that when that bubble burst, it caused what was one of the shallowest recessions in our country's history. On a more macro, broader equity level, with the S&P literally sitting at an all-time high, I find myself as bullish and constructive as I've been at any time in my 21-year career. And the reason for that is really very simple. And often, not overthinking these things is the right approach. The U.S. economy is going to grow over 6% this year, and interest rates are 1.7%. Admittedly, they've gone higher over the last few weeks, but 1.7% is historically low. Let me put that in context for you. The last time the US economy grew over 6% was in 1984. Interest rates were 13%. The single best predictor of stock prices over the last decade plus has been something called the Fed model, which basically just says that stock prices are a function of the difference between the earnings yield of stocks and the risk-free rate. Stocks are in their 40th percentile evaluation based on that metric. Stocks are cheap. The economy is going to grow at a very above trend rate, probably for several years. And that leaves me very, very constructive on the overall equity market, despite some pockets of frothiness, which are probably to be expected and self-corrected fairly quickly. 
All right, Benny, I'm dating myself, but when I was getting out of college, I had a little bit of money in a money market and uh, I think I was earning double digit percentage on that. So 1.7 sounds awfully low to me, even if it's up a bit. So I'd be remiss in not mentioning that you lead the firm's trading efforts in capital markets, transactions. You're also legendary in the industry for your role managing the open for the IPOs that we run, which now stand at close to 400. Talk a little bit about some of the lessons you've learned over 20 years of doing that. Well, this isn't a three-hour podcast, so I won't try to hit on everything. Look, a few things stand out. First is that markets are never as good as they seem or as good as they feel during the best of times, and they are never as bad as they feel during the worst of times. What stands out about the market we're in right now is the, the speed with which we're traversing between fear and euphoria. But that lesson stands out. You know, I look back to just over a year ago, and I cannot remember a market that felt worse than the third week of March of 2020. And at the same time, I really can't remember a lot of markets that felt better than the first few weeks of this year. At an index level, we're on the highs. I think that markets are actually in a more sober place today for a lot of the reasons we talked about with the growth trade having slowed down. So that's first. Second thing that stands out is that a consistent approach is going to win. And trying to pivot approach to the fickle fluctuations of markets is not an approach that's going to work. We always put customers first, both issuers and investors. When we take a company public, what we always focus on and, and what has served us, our issuers and our investors very well is focusing on getting that company an A-plus list of shareholders, an A-plus list of investors that is one of the most valuable assets a company can have over time. So I've always put that goal first and, and then I found that everything else, like the price of the stock tends to follow if you get that right. And, you know, I think the last thing that stands out for me, and maybe this is less of a lesson, more of an observation, is that through this tremendously busy time in, in equity capital markets, we are seeing equity capital markets evolve and the process change in a way at a much faster pace than we have certainly at any time in my career, probably at any time in history. You know, as recently as five or six years ago, if you were a company that wanted to go public in the United States, you basically had one option and it was to do an IPO. Today, you've got a range of options. You can do a hybrid blind book build, which we've done several of very successfully over the last year. You can do a direct listing. You can merge with a SPAC. And all of those different options are evolving simultaneously. And you know, companies have a lot of different goals at the time they decide to go public. And we have way more tools today than we did just a few years ago to help them achieve those goals. And Goldman's been in the middle of that evolution. And it's, for so many reasons, just a really exciting time to be involved with capital markets. All right, Benny. Well, thanks for sharing your perspective with us. I always learn a lot from my times chatting with you. So thanks for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. My pleasure. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, April 7th in the year 2021. Thank you for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. 
In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.